Several years ago, when I um, got out of the military, I wanted to do something for ministry for God, and I didn't know how to do it because I was a brand new Adventist and didn't know the political correct way of doing things. You understand what I'm saying? And so uh, it turned out that I got a job to do Bible work for $25 a week. Now, you have to understand that uh, my wife was making $200 an hour prior to that. And I was making a little bit more than $25 a week when I was in show business. So $25 a week was not a lot of money, but I couldn't believe that somebody would pay me just to witness. So I began witnessing, and I came across, uh, we, we were given a trailer, my wife and I and our children, to, to live in. So I was not single. I actually was married already, and uh, we then adopted two, two children and uh, had a baby girl. And so in this particular trailer court, there was a young couple living, and he was in the Air Force, and we began to witness to him and his wife. And one night, we came to, uh, I, I actually went to visit the couple, and I found a strange lady there. I suspected that she was religious, the way she was dressed, etc. And it wasn't long when I discovered that she was religious. She was the wife of the local Jehovah Witness church leader. And then all of a sudden I realized that she was there to steal my sheep. You understand? And I was very nervous because, as I said, I was brand new and didn't know all that I wanted to know about the Bible, but I did know enough about the Scriptures to kind of defend myself. But she threw me a curve by speaking about the sons of God. How many of you have... Uh, have heard the idea that in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God there were angels who came down and got married with women and that's why there were giants in the land. Any of you have heard that before? Okay. So she threw that at me. And frankly, I didn't know how to, how to respond to that except that I prayed. And, uh, and all of a sudden a thought came to me and I shot at her a question and I said, so when the flood came, where did these angels go? And she was stumped because no one had asked that question before. So she said, they, they went back to heaven. And I said, oh, wait a minute. These angels came down, got married with women down here, and had children, and God would let them go back to heaven? And now she was really more stumped. And she didn't know what to answer. So she gave this nervous laughter, giggle, you know, and she said, why don't we start our own church? And I said, no, why don't you join my church? And so she got nervous and gave a little short laughter and said, I, I think I need to get going. And she left. And boy, was I greatly relieved. I was able to save my sheep. And uh, fortunately, uh, because of that, uh, his name was Bruce Wilkinson, and Bruce Wilkinson uh, later on was baptized, and there he is, the blonde fella. And Bruce Wilkinson then began to witness to other fellows in the air base. And by the time we got through with it, we had uh, nine air basemen who had been baptized. We shut down the flight line on Sabbath, and the, the military didn't like it. And so they gave them all a court-martial. And God overruled, and all nine got honorable discharged. Even though one was only there four months, he, they got full military credits. But Bruce was one of those. And it was the first time that I ever heard that teaching of the sons of God. However, the more I studied, the more I realized that what uh, they were teaching was completely wrong. And I want to share that with you. I'm going to move my mouse up there and give it a click. Just click that one, the, the one that's showing, the main. 
Just click up right there. Click it. All right, good. Now you need to close. Close it over here. All right, now go up to play. Click it. All right, and then we are there. Okay, you went to a different program, but it's okay. It's still working. All right, you went from Keynote to uh, Scala. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's working. All right, so Bruce, by the way, Bruce today is a pastor up in uh, Vermont, and he was, he's also, he happens to be Cherokee. How many of you have ever seen blonde Indians? Any of you? Yeah, most people think that all American Indians have a hooked nose, they're brown, black hair, you know, dark skin. Uh, the reality is that the Cherokees actually were indigenous to America and were blonde and blue-eyed. Did you know that? Well, you learned something new tonight. Okay. So, consequently, because of his connection, uh, he then was placed to be uh, in part of the committee that took care of Native Ministries for North America. So I'm thankful to God that God delivered me in that situation and gave me just the right questions to deliver that couple and nine others and who are also most of them are pastors today as a result of that. So let's look at the text that has to do with the sons of God. Let's see what the Bible really teaches about that. In Genesis chapter 6, if you have your Bible, if you don't, you'll have to trust that what I have here is correct. It says, and it came to pass when the men began to multiply upon the face of the earth and daughters were, what, born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took themselves wise of all which they chose. There were giants in the, the earth in those days, and, and uh, also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and uh, they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Now, I want to share some things with you uh, about this, this verse. And also, I should tell you this. For a long time, I have been looking for giant bones of human beings. Now you may ask, why are you looking for giant bones of human beings? Because the Bible tells us that in those days there were what kind of people? Giants. And if there were giants, then there should be giant bones somewhere. And I came across one person who told me that uh, he made, you know, all these dinosaur bones that are found? Many of them are not genuine. They're actually manufactured. And I came across one of the fellows that manufactures these dinosaur bones. So Smithsonian says we need a bone this size and this shape and all that, and he's the one that makes it for Smithsonian. So for a long time, I haven't been found, but he told me, he said, they have found giant bones, but they will not declare them because it doesn't fit in with evolution. We just recently have discovered that Smithsonian have been finding them and destroying them. Did you know that? So now we know that there were giant bones and the Smithsonian have been destroying the evidence because it doesn't harmonize with evolution. So the Bible says that there were men upon the earth. What were they? Men. And it says that these men had uh, married the daughters of men. The sons of God married the daughters of men. So, uh, and then it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now, so far, in reading the verses of Scripture, what do you find is mentioning? Angels or men? Men. It says they were men upon the earth, and then it says that uh, they married wives, and then it says they had children, and there were giants in the land, and uh, that uh, man's minds were in those days wicked continually. Now, the Jehovah Witness lady shared with me a text to prove to me that the sons of God are angels. And those texts, of course, were found in the book of Job. So here they are, Job chapter 1, verse 6, and Job chapter 38, verse 7. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Obviously, there was a meeting someplace uh, wherever uh, beings in heaven meet, 
And Satan went as a representative of the earth. He claimed himself to be the representative of planet earth. In uh, Job 38, verse 7, it says, When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So here are two verses of Scripture that use the term sons of God in reference to beings that are not from the earth. However, the majority of the Bible uses the phrase sons of God for a different purpose. Look at uh, John 1.12. John 1.12 says, But as many as received them, to them gave he power to become what? The sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus said that people who believed in him become what? The sons of God. There are some other texts. Romans 8, verse 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Uh, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Here's another text, Philippians 2.15. That ye may be blameless and what? Harmless, the sons of God. Without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, Two verses that call the beings in heaven sons of God, but many verses that call you sons of God. So which would you use? Two verses or eight or ten verses? Which one establishes the doctrine? A single reference or many references? Many references. So in, in, in reality, God calls people who are converted and who believe in Christ and who follow God his sons. Now, I should tell you this, ladies, that you are included in that phrase, sons of God. Now, the reason for that, so you understand this, this is not chauvinism. This is God's ordained order. What is it? God's ordained order. Not about chauvinism. God made a perfect woman. Hey, what? A perfect woman. God made a perfect man. Correct? Now, are they equal? And if you say yes, you're wrong. Because God never intended for them to be compared. You cannot compare an orange and an apple. You cannot say they're equal. God never intended you to be compared one with another. God made a perfect woman. Praise the Lord, what do you say? And God made a perfect Man never intended for them to be compared as equal because God did not make you equal. God made you different. And praise God for that. What do you say, man? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful that I have a wife and not a something else. You hear what I'm saying? And my wife is thankful that she has a husband and not something else. All right? It's a mutual. God made us perfect. Perfect man, perfect woman. By the way, I tell you this: I have just done some research and have discovered, have discovered that women are completely different from men. In other words, I have 18 different things, major things that women are different from men. For example, men have bigger brains. Did you know that than women? However, women have more brain cells than men. Sorry, man. Okay. It's reality, all right? Men have 50% brute strength more than women. And women are wise enough to understand that if they want to get something done, they get the brute. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yes. God made us to complement each other. To what? Complement each other by our differences. So, a woman thinks with two sides of her brain. Okay, with how much? Two sides of a brain. That's why to men it appears that women are slow to make decisions. The reason for that is that God made them so that they have a check and balance. All right? Men make decisions and they think from one side of the brain. So men have a tendency to make a quick, hasty decision, but women weigh things back and forth. And God intended that these both complement each other so that they make the best decision together. What do you say? Amen. All right? 
And I've only given you two things that are different. There are major eating things. For example, women lactate. Women's lungs are smaller than men's. That's why women faint easier. However, women metabolism is faster than men. That's why women can handle more heat than men. That's why women don't have any problem being in the kitchen. You understand? So anyway, there are major differences. There are what? There are major differences uh, between men and women. God never intended you to be the same. God intended you to complement each other. Will you say amen to that? And so the Bible makes it plain then that in the scriptures, he always, he always mentions sons and daughters as of the father and not of the mother. If you do a search, you'll see that what I'm saying is true. Take a Young's Concordance or Cruden's Concordance, look up sons and daughters, and it always refers to them as the sons and daughters of the fathers. When you go home, it says they go home back to their fathers. When they die, it says they go back to their, or they die and bury with their fathers, okay? It is not a matter of God being a chauvinist. It's simply that God established an order, and God is a God of order. So, when women respect men for what they are and men respect women for what they are, then we have a blessed relationship together. What do you say? All right. So when it says sons of God, it is not at all eliminating the role of women. It is simply uh, putting you under the fathers. All right. Now, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold what? You know the song, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, right? That we may become the sons of God, God, all right? Then it says, therefore, the, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall be see him as he is. Will you say amen to that? All right. Now, do angels get married then? Yes or no? Because the Jehovah Witness lady said that the angels came down and got married with the women, right? But we know from the scriptures that angels don't get married. Here's what it says. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye, what? You err not knowing what? The scriptures. What scriptures is Jesus referring to? The Old Testament. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament, okay? Nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. This suggests then that angels do not get married, right? Here's another statement. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And in Luke 20 it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, The children of this world, what? Marry, and are given in? marriage, but they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Neither can they, what? Die anymore. For they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. And so, by the way, you ladies that are in love with your husbands, I had, as a pastor, I've had some ladies come to me crying and say, Pastor, I read the statement and it says that in heaven we won't be married. And I said, yes. Well, I'm not going to be with my husband. And I said, well, sister, if I were to, be, if I were you, I would worry about something else. She said, what? I said, worry about getting there first. Because if you get there, you'll discover that the plan that Christ has for you is much better than what you think. 
God will never take something good from us that he doesn't replace with something better. So, when the Lord speaks about angels, he speaks about angels who do not get married. So consequently then, you have to address the question as to who were the sons of God? Okay, who were these? Well, the sons of God were none other than the what? The descendants of Seth and the daughters of men the, the, of the godless Canaanites. Let me give you a little history. God had given Adam and Eve two children. The first one was named Cain and Abel. And Eve had been given a promise, as well as with Adam, that through the seed, the Messiah would come. So immediately Eve began to look for the seed as the promise. So she anticipated that either Cain or Abel were the seed. However, when Cain killed Abel, she knew neither could be the seed. Number one, because Abel was dead. Number two, because the seed could not come from a murderer. Okay? He could not be the Messiah. So the scripture says then that that promise is the one that the women in the Bible long to see realized that through the seed, salvation would come. Now, when Abel died then, she had no hope until after Cain killed Abel, she had another son. And that particular son, the scripture says, was named Seth. But I want you to notice the wording in the Bible, Genesis 4, verse 25 and 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name what? Seth. Then it says, for God said she have appointed me, what's the word there? Another what? Another seed. Instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And through Seth, then, the Bible says, to him also they were born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Okay. So things looked hopeless. The promised seed was dead. Cain could not be the seed. Would there be another? And God brought another, and that other was Seth. And because Seth was faithful to God, it said because of him, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's why the Thetites were called the sons of God. But the women, the daughters of the Canaanites, were called the daughters of men. And you may wonder why the Lord uh, registered that. It's because of this. And nothing against you women again, okay? But you have to acknowledge, men, that women have great power. Not true? Just think about it. It was because of a woman that mankind fell. Not true? I'm just history. I'm not being partial here. Because of a woman that the strongest man in the world fell. Because of a woman, the wisest man in the world fell. In other words, women have power. And women can learn to use their power for good or can learn to use their power for evil. Okay? You understand? And so... The fall of Israel, did you hear what I'm saying in Jeremiah? The fall of Israel came, the final blow that brought about the fall of Israel came as a result of the women participating in offering incense to the queen of heaven. You check Jeremiah, you'll find out that what I'm saying is correct. When the women told Jeremiah, we will not listen to you, but we will offer incense unto the queen of heaven, because when we offer it to her, we get what we want. When we offer it to God, we don't get what we want. And so when the women participated in the role of the priesthood, 
was the final downfall of Israel. And I happen to be of Jewish descent. So I'm speaking to you as a Jew. Now, notice then what took place. Why God registered this, this marriage between the sons of God and the daughters of man. And how does that impact you today? Right, listen. These unholy alliances between the Sethites and the Canaanites were responsible for the what? For the rapid increase of wickedness among the former. Here's what happened. The Sethites were separate from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were city dwellers. The Sethites lived in nature in the country. But at some point, the Bible doesn't tell us what point, the Sethites began to come down from the mountains and saw the beautiful women that were down in the valley. And the, the natural tendency is to suppose that I'll get her and convert her. Did you hear what I said? The natural tendency is what? I'll get her and convert her. But rather than getting her and converting her, what happened was she converted him. All right? So what took place was that originally there are many, many faithful to God. But as they amalgamated, you know what that term means? As they joined together, as they mixed together, as became one, rather than the righteous affecting the wicked, the wicked affected the righteous. And the righteous began to become less and less in number. Until the time of Noah, there were only eight righteous living. All because of this union between the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain. There's sometimes that young people think, uh, you know, he's not as bad as people say. Or a young lady will, will uh, meander over because the guys over there seem to be more cool than the guys over here. Or the young men will see, go to places that they ought not to, and see young ladies, and pretty soon there's a relationship. And once that is established, it's very difficult to break it. I'll tell you the experience of a young lady. Her name was Eva. I can use her name because you don't know who she is. And you don't know if I'm telling you her name anyway, right? Okay. So we'll call her Eva. Eva was growing up in an Adventist ghetto. You know what I mean by that, right? A neighborhood where most of the people who live were Adventists. Okay. And... Uh, she knew the counsel of the scriptures do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Even though she knew that, she then meandered down the hill, and I used to live in that hill, and she began to get acquainted with a guy who fell in love with her, head over heels. And even though she knew it was not the right thing, she thought in her mind that she would get him converted. So she finally said to her, look, I want to marry you. She said, you can't marry me. Why not? You're not an Adventist. Well, what do I do to become an Adventist? You got to take Bible studies. What's that? Well, I'll connect you with, my, with somebody who can give him Bible studies. So he began Bible studies. He finished the Bible studies and said, okay, can we get married now? No, you're not you're an Adventist. Well, what do I have to do? Well, you need to get baptized. What's that? Well... We'll uh, figure it out, and I'll help you. And so finally, he got baptized. Now can we get married? Yes, now you're an Adventist. So he got married. The day after the marriage, he took the Bible in front of her and tore it in half and said to her, if I ever catch you in the church, I'll whip you. For 20 years, that woman lived in dread and fear 
She could not have a Bible in her home. She could not have her children go to church, and she could not go to church herself. And I happened to meet the family in Las Vegas. You know that saintly city? And I was doing missionary work in the summertime, and I happened to run across the lady, and she confessed to me that she had grown up as an Adventist. So I began to witness to her. And then she told me the story. And she said, I, I really want to associate with people of God, but I'm definitely afraid of my husband. He works for the circus. He does the spotlights there in the circus. So she would come during the daytime because he was not there. But she was always looking at her watch, always looking at her watch, fearful that she may get back and her husband discover that she was not there. 20 years. How long? 20 years. I tell you, when I discovered that, I determined we were going to get a hold of that man. And so we went after him. Poor guy. We got a hold of him, and uh, by God's grace, we whipped him into shape. And then he told me this. He told me himself the story. And he said, now I want to be baptized because of Jesus, not because of her. And so he was baptized, and a year later, she got brain cancer and died. So the sons of God, what did they do? They got together with the daughters of man. And the relationship, rather than encouraging righteousness, actually encouraged the opposite. And man became... The sons of God became the endangered species. Now, here's the problem, folks, and I want you to understand this. And I said it the other night, I'll say it again. The reason why wicked people are still alive on this earth is because there are righteous people on this earth. Do you hear what I said? Those people may not appreciate you. They may not like you. They may persecute you. They may do all sorts of things to you. But the reason why they're still inhabiting the planet is because God still has his children on the earth. Do you hear that? So, when God was telling Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, do you remember that, that uh, Abraham came down to what number? To ten. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten. Apparently ten is the minimum. The what? The minimum that God allows for the humans to exist. If God had not interposed, if God had not gotten involved in the situation there in the time of Noah, Noah and his family would have died off and there would have been no righteous on the earth. Therefore, Satan could have declared himself the what? The winner. They have, the world has chosen me. God, you're going to have to lay your hands off this planet. So in order for God to do his operation, he has to have people on this earth. Has to have what? People, you are the agents that God uses to bring about righteousness on this earth. Like it or not, I hope you like it. You are the ones that God chooses to use. Oh, you may say, well, you know, why doesn't God use somebody else? Somebody else can do it better than I can. Not about who can do it better. You can reach people that I do not know. You have friends that I'll never get acquainted with. You have acquaintances. You have families that only you have contact with, etc. And therefore, God wants to use you, the sons of God, the daughters of God, to reach others for his kingdom. Righteousness must, must go on. What do you say? Without righteousness, there's chaos. Just think of it. If 
all of the state of Michigan, all the people of Michigan kept the Ten Commandments, what kind of state would you have? Hmm? Would you have a good state or a bad state? You'd have utopia here, right? Hmm? Yeah, you would have a blessed state. I mean, you wouldn't have to have a police department. You wouldn't have to have lock your doors, no more locks, etc. You could live in such a way that there'd be no broken homes, there'd be no divorces, there'd be no, none of the challenges that we have on this earth. If only the people kept the Ten Commandments. So righteousness must survive. What do you say? If human race is going to uh, continue, then God must have righteous human beings. Continuing. So, 10. Certain prayers may only be said in the presence of a what? Minyam. That's, that's Hebrew, okay? Or a group of at least 10 adults. 10 men in orthodox shuls. A shul is a synagogue, okay? So, if there is a synagogue and there are nine men living in that vicinity, they cannot worship in the synagogue. They have to be how many? Ten. And by the way, this number 10 is the same number that is used in many, many Turkish In other words, you have numbered and you're found wanting. The number 10 is a weighing factor. Okay. In other words, God allows what is called probation for people. But the time comes when probation ends. All right? So he weighs people, and either they are righteous or not righteous. So the number 10 is used for that. But it's also used to number the limit that God permits for the human race to exist. And so because there were only eight, God brought about a flood. And God brought that flood to save the human race. If God had not done what he did, there'd be no humans alive. God would have had to destroy the planet, and that would have been it. But thank God that God chose a different plan, that he preserved the good seed to replant them again so that a new harvest would start of righteous people. But no sooner were the righteous replanted than Ham became the Ham. And he ruined everything, right? Do you understand? And, you know, think about it. It's, it's, it's amazing that a person can grow up in the church and still do the things that he does. Ham saw the miracles. He saw the animals walking in. He saw the birds flying in. He heard the preaching for 120 years. Ham saw himself in the boat. Sam heard the waves and the, the howling winds outside, the people screaming. Ham was able to finally see a dry earth, desolate with no one around except for his family. And Ham saw the ark that God put up in the sky as a reminder that he would not destroy mankind with a flood again. And after seeing all that, Ham becomes the, the progenitor, the one who encourages evil and uh, worshiping idols and statues and so forth, and creating a religion that was basically base and immoral, Ham. So is it possible for a person to grow up in the church and lose his way, was the answer. Yeah. All right, now, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the days that same will happen when the Son of Man comes. What happened in Noah's day will happen today, all right? And most of the time, when we read these passages, we're thinking about the, the uh, eating and drinking, etc., as bad things. And as I shared with you the other day, God is using the time of Noah as a point of reference as to what will happen when he comes. And one of the challenges that took place in Noah's day, all right, was not the concern of eating and drinking and all that, because there was nothing wrong with doing that was the concern of the spiritual condition of believers waning, declining, and falling into the same state that you had in the days of Noah. Okay, now, these people who amalgamated, got to the place where they became so spiritually blind, 
that even when the signs were obvious, they could not see the signs. And the Bible says, and until the day the flood came, and they knew not, and the flood took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, you have a situation then that's prevalent. And the same thing happened in the time of Lot. And that's why in Luke 17, 32, there's a short verse, remember Lot's wife. Why does it say remember Lot's wife? What was the problem with Lot's wife? Well, Lot's wife was a believer. Lot was a nephew of Abraham. Correct? You knew that, right? And so Lot, the Bible says, pitched his tent toward Sodom. What did he do? It doesn't say he pitched his tent in Sodom. He pitched his tent where? Toward Sodom. Okay? He had no intention of being inside Sodom, but when the angels came, where did they find them? In Sodom. So what happens? It's called, a, a Joe Cruz wrote a book called Creeping Compromises. Any of you have ever heard of that book? Okay. And basically what it is, is that stillfully there is an influence that happens upon the persons who are supposed to be godly that without them realizing it, they begin to decline. And what used to be wrong before, it's no longer wrong now. I remember in New York City when I was converted, I remember my pastor say, uh, New York City is improved. Crime has gone down. I grew up in New York City. He was from Washington State, you understand. And so he said that crime had gone down in New York City. Um, what was the problem? The problem was not the crime had gone down. The problem was that New York City was, was so challenged with all sorts of crimes that what used to be a crime became a misdemeanor. Okay? For example, it used to be a crime to smoke marijuana. But when the pastor said that, they changed it from a crime to a misdemeanor. So they gave you a parking ticket if you're caught smoking marijuana. Well, now, where before all the marijuana smokers were criminals, now all the marijuana smokers were not criminals. So obviously, they would be taken off the list of the crime rate, and therefore the crime, what happened? was reduced. In reality, when I was in New York, later on, uh, working as a pastor over there, I was driving uh, the president of the Union, uh, Ohio and Columbia Union, to the airport with his family. They were going to Spain. And as I was driving, a truck stopped, slammed his brake in front of me, and my van crashed into the back of the truck. And that truck driver knew what he did, and he immediately took off, so I had no opportunity to take down his number or anything. And my truck's my van crashed just as we were going on the, the loop into the airport. So right at the entrance of the airport, okay? So I didn't know what to do, but I wanted to get these people to, the air, to their airplane. So I held down somebody. We jumped in with a suitcase and took them to the terminal. In 20 minutes, I got back, and my van was stripped. I mean, right in the entrance there, okay, my van was stripped. The wheels were gone, the, the radio was gone, <laughs> anything of value. It was a conversion van, by the way, you know, one of these nice conversion vans. And when I came back, it was just stripped. So there was a policeman coming in the car, you know, two policemen. So I hailed them down, and, and I said, I need your help. So they said, anybody hurt? I said, no, sorry, guy, you have to take care of it yourself. They had no interest whatsoever in what, what happened to me. You know why? Because they had things more serious to handle than just somebody's van that got stripped. So I had to handle it myself. They had no, no offer of help to me. And by 2 o'clock in the morning, I had a truck that came and picked up my van and took it home. So what am I telling to you? What am I saying? I'm saying is this, that the Christian needs to realize that God warns us that we need to be careful that we do not allow our spirituality to decline by our associations with others who are not committed to God. And that when we do step over the line, we may think that we're going to win when in reality we'll lose. Listen, I read a statement that said that Satan oftentimes allows one couple who are mismatched 
to succeed so that a hundred others will follow suit and go to ruin. He's a gambler, and he knows how to play well. And so, remember Lot's wife. While her body was where? Upon the plain, where was her heart? Her heart clung to Sodom, and she perished with it. She rebelled against God because his judgments involved her what? Her possessions and her children in the ruin. All those so greatly favored and being called out from the wicked city, she felt that she was severely dealt with because the wealth that it had taken years to accumulate must be left to destruction. So what had happened? Where was her heart? All that she had gained in Sodom. Even though all that was going on was obvious to her that it was wrong, immoral, etc., yet her heart clung to the stuff that she had acquired. And when she had to leave, she loathed that she had to leave everything behind. And so her heart was behind in the things that became her gods. In the Corinthians, Paul writes the following, be ye not what? Unequally yoked together with, with unbelievers. What fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion have light with darkness? And what concord have Christ with Belial? What part have he that believeth with an infidel? When I was in show business, uh, we had go-go girls. Those are girls that would wag, wiggle and waggle their hips and all that in front of the men. And one day, a new go-go girl showed up. She didn't look like she belonged in that environment. She was clean, she looked wholesome, etc. She was going to the university, but she decided that in order to make fast money, she would be, be a go-go girl. Her only intentions was to make money for her education. So she got herself into this environment that she thought she could control. She could keep herself untainted. All she would do is just dance and go home with the money. The last time I saw her, she was a prostitute. There's something that happens to the human being when he parlays with sin. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how crafty you think you are. It doesn't matter how sharp you think you are. When you play with fire, you get burned. And the reason why our Lord gives us these examples is not to curtail or to restrict you from that which would bring joy and gladness to your heart, but to keep you from those things which will ultimately injure you and put you at risk when it comes to your salvation. And so God in his mercy reveals these things about the sons of God and the daughters of man to let us know that just as it happened in the days of Noah, it's going to happen today. You may be Christians today. You may want to follow God, but if you're not careful, you will begin on a slippery slope. And before you realize it, you no longer have a desire for the things you used to have desire for. And I can tell you of young people who have told me that. They said, well, you know, I started going to clubs. I had no intention of getting involved in that lifestyle. I was just going with my friends to keep them company. But before I realized it, I began to no longer feel the, the, the desire to pray. I felt uncomfortable praying. And uh, I didn't want to read the Bible anymore because every time I read the Bible, it kind of hit me in the face and I don't want to see that anymore. So he said, before I knew it, I was completely out there. I was just like them, dressing like them, drinking like them, acting like them, living like them. Something I had never thought I would do. I had a young man, I was preaching in an audience like this. 
And the young man came after me and said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. He was a son of a pastor. He, I said, sure. We went to the back room. And he began to cry and he said, I am right now going through withdrawals. I'm a heroin addict. And he said, I want to be free from this. I thought, I thought that it would be different. But now he said, I'm a slave to it. And then he broke down and wept and says, I want to be free from it. I don't want to continue in this. And I said, how badly do you want the victory? He said, I'll do anything. And I said, well, let's pray together. He knelt down and wept and prayed and begged God forgiveness. And I have to be honest with you, I blended my tears with him because I felt so bad for that young fella. Here he had grown up in a pastor's home. He knew better, but he began to, to associate himself with people who drugged him down. And once he was down, he was hooked. And once he was hooked, he felt that there was no escape. But his sister invited him to come to listen to my presentation. And that night he was convicted, so convicted that he wanted to at last be free. And we knelt down and prayed. And I'll tell you, I agonized with God over that young man and I prayed, pled with God and God would deliver him. And finally we got up and the only one left in the sanctuary was his sister. So we got together with the sister and as we were talking together, all of a sudden, he realized something had happened. Something miraculous had happened. He said, it's God. And then he said, it's God. And then right in the church of sanctuary, he said, it's God. Praise God, what do you say? Amen. Praise God that God has mercy on people. But the reason God gives us the counsels is because there's danger. There's what? There's danger. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be a, or oh my what? Sons and daughters. Who says it? Says the Lord God Almighty. I don't know where you are in your experience. Some, some young people, and I've known them. And by the way, I should tell you about the young man. He became converted, and his father had the joy of rebaptizing him. And his father had a great joy in that boy coming back home. But some people have a foot outside and a foot inside. You know what I'm saying? They have too much religion to be happy in the world and not enough religion to be happy in the church. And so... They're out and in. They struggle. If you were to talk to them, they would honestly say, I really want to do what's right. But sometimes I can't help myself. The current is too strong. And so they come in and they go out. They come in and they go out. And that is not what Jesus wants you to do. Jesus wants to give you strength so you can actually be his sons and his daughters. There's nothing more than God wants and for your happiness and your well-being. What do you say? But if you're not happy with him sufficiently, you will neither be happy out there. You will either have to go all the way out or you'll have to come all the way in. There is no halfway. What did I say? There is no halfway. Jesus said, you're either for me or you are against me. But God wants you to be his sons and his daughters. That's why he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find what? Faith on the earth. What is he referring to? 
the same condition that happened at the time of Noah. In other words, God has a people that he intends through them to shine his love to the world. But if his people become affected by the influences of the world, they will become insipid. They will not have the salt in themselves to win others to Christ. And consequently, they'll just remain listless in their spiritual lives, never having enough power to do anything to reach others and never having enough power to overcome themselves. That is not God's plan. God's plan is for you to commit yourself completely and discover how good it is to serve him. And by the way, here's what I've discovered. A lot of people say, well, we hear these miracles happening in Africa and in these other countries. We never see those miracles in our country. You know why? Here's what I discovered. If you want to see miracles, go. Don't sit. If you want to see miracles, do what? Go. Don't sit. Decide to do something for your own spiritual life by serving the Lord. And if you serve the Lord, you'll find that you'll increase in strength, you'll increase in knowledge, and you'll increase in joy and in happiness. Decide not to do anything, to be listless, and sooner or later, you will find yourself slipping down until what used to be bad is no longer bad. And I think some of us can testify to that. There was a time when we were convicted about something, and after a while, the thing is no longer as bad as it used to be. Where's the problem? The problem is not that God has changed. The problem is that we have slipped. But does God want you to continue to slip? Does God want you to continue to live that life? The answer is no. He wants you to, to live for him. He wants you to become a son and a daughter. Is that what you want? Really? Is that what you want? Today, I'm going to ask you the question tonight. History will be repeated again. The righteous will once again be an endangered species. But God will ultimately win. God will have a people who will shine for him. God wants to use you to be those that shine for him. But you have to make a determination in your own heart. Do not compromise with, with what is called uh, unrighteousness. Do not allow yourself to uh, compromise with things that you know are not truth and right. Decide that you're going to be as loyal and true as you possibly can by God's grace. What do you say? And if you do that, you'll find yourself ever stronger and stronger in the Lord. There is no middle ground. You either become stronger or you become weaker. Tonight, what is your desire? To become stronger or to become weaker? Those of you who want to become stronger, would you stand? Would you say, Lord, by God's grace, I want to be a true son and a true daughter. I want to be true to you. When the chips are cast, I want to be on the right side of the issue. I want to be among the saved. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be what? For I am holy, your God. But as he which hath called you is holy. Be ye also holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Listen. There are many things that are happening today, young people. Not just outside, but inside the church. There are many things that well, before, when I first became an Adventist, it was clear what was right. Today, it's kind of hazy in the minds of others. If there's ever going to be a chance for the church to turn around, 
it has to be with young people who understand the challenge and decide by God's grace that they're going to live as close as they can to the pattern that God has given to them. And it will not happen unless each one of you pray earnestly, study the word, and make sure that in your heart you're not allowing things to slip in that you know can defile your spiritual life. Be true to God, be true to yourself, and you will overcome. Let's pray. Holy Father, we're grateful for the way that you reveal things to us in your word. And as it happened in the days of Noah, where there were only eight righteous, we see that throughout the world, the righteous becoming less and less in number. Oh God, while the current is swiftly taking people away, please, by your grace, do not allow us to be swept away. The salvation of so many depend upon us, Lord, as thou hast revealed. So help us to be true to you, true to what we know, true to what we understand. Help us to be faithful and help us to be true your sons and daughters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.